The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. As I was saying in the guided meditation to um, um, begin to establish mindfulness, to have a continuity of attention, that takes some, just some simple awareness of what's happening moment to moment. But then as that gets established, we can start to notice the impermanent nature of experience. It does take the establishment of mindfulness, a continuity of mindfulness over time to begin to see experience arising and passing. So, you know, in just a single moment of mindfulness, something is there or, you know, there's an experience, but we're not so much able to see the changing nature of it until the mindfulness, there's more continuity, more moments of mindfulness. And so the exploration around impermanence it becomes more possible when there's a little bit more stability of mindfulness. I will say, um, you know, it's not really, uh, it's not necessary to have like a long stretch of, of continuity in order to notice impermanence. This can happen even in the space of like a second of, of mindfulness we can notice very deeply the impermanent nature of experience and have a, a very kind of deep transformative understanding as mindfulness pops in for just a few seconds. It does take kind of being attuned to the experience of mindfulness so that we can recognize it when that happens and be attuned to what's happening rather than uh, either jumping on what we've become aware of when mindfulness returns or berating ourselves for not being mindful um, but just, oh, here I am. This is what's happening. In that kind of arising of mindfulness, there can be a continuity that sees this impermanent nature of experience. So as I um, mentioned earlier, I think before I started the recording, <laughs> um, um, the refrain, this, this aspect of the refrain, um, taking in um, the impermanent nature of experience is a support for insight and understanding. Insight and understanding around um, um, what leads to suffering and what frees the mind from suffering. It's a specific kind of understanding that the Buddha is pointing us to in the teachings of the Satipatthana Sutta. It's not wisdom around how to be a better uh, partner. It's wisdom around what leads to stress and suffering and what in this system anyway, I mean, the, the, um, um, the understanding that there is something that is in terms of when we experience stress or some su suffering, there's an aspect of that being created in our uh, own minds. And that while we can't change the, necessarily change the external conditions, although the practice of becoming mindful and aware of what's happening internally and externally can help us to navigate and uh, potentially support change in the world, um, 
with less stress and suffering and reactivity on our own parts, that we may or may not be able to affect change in the world, but we don't have to uh, be whipped around by what's happening in the world. We can have a stability of um, uh, ease and peace in the mind, not suffering, not, um, not having a constricted heart around what's happening in the world or what's happening internally or externally. And that, that takes um, quite a bit of wisdom and understanding to begin to let go of the habits of reactivity, the habits of reactivity that uh, kind of create that extra experience in our own our own selves that is that tension that tightness that suffering that the buddha says was possible to release so the um the exploration of impermanence is understood to be a part of how we can um see and understand the experience that's happening um to, to support our minds from um, having reactivity around what is happening. So the impermanent nature of experience is, it's, 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 it's highlighted over and over, not just here in the Satipatthana Sutta, but over and over in what the Buddha taught. He encouraged us to notice the impermanent nature of experience, partly because the a lot of the stress and suffering that is created in our experience comes to do comes about because of a misunderstanding that we have that things are lasting and would be reliable as a place for happiness there's a fundamental way that we misunderstand how we can be happy we rely on things we tend to habitually rely on things in our experience in the world as being somehow stable that we can like land there and say, yeah, if I, if I have that, if I have that experience and make that last, then that's where happiness will come. And what the Buddha points out is that there's no experience that lasts long enough to qualify for anything that's reliable. And so he's pointing us to notice the nature of experience. You know, instead of being deceived by the way our, our habits work and our minds work and the way we've been taught that, yeah, get these things and that's what's going to make you happy. You know, instead of being deceived by that, to actually look at the nature of experience. It's impermanent. It's not reliable. So all experience is impermanent. Every, it's actually so wildly impermanent way more impermanent than we usually see in our ordinary everyday experience. I mean, as I sit here and I look around my room, you know, I've got this couch sitting here and this couch has been here for 27 years, you know, is it 27, 22, something like that. It's been here for a long time. You know, it's pretty stable, you know, it's here. And, and it's like, that's the way our minds work. We, I mean, it's like, you know, I feel like, I can rely on this couch being down, being here, you know, it's there, it's there. It's not that I like, like have a lot of connection to happiness about the couch, but 
um, if there's a way in which the way our system habitually works that it um, tends to impute this reliability or this stability. It's an illusion. Um, some of that illusion, um, um, I mean, there's the, imper the impermanent nature of experience is revealed on many different scales, let's say. You know, there's the cosmic scale of like the planet and the universe and you know this planet came into being i don't know what how many 13 billion i can't remember <laughs> something years ago <laughs> four billion i think it was more than that is it four billion okay um uh so so you know it didn't exist five billion years ago um you know the the universe has is wildly changing on a on a on a universal level the scale of change in the universe the planet is pretty new and in the planet we know based on the life cycle of stars and you know this planet will eventually be consumed by fire when the sun um dies explodes and becomes a red giant it's going to supernova at some point billions of years from now so even on that scale you know we don't tend to think of the earth as being impermanent but the earth is impermanent and then there's the more ordinary say human scale of experience that um, you know we we can begin to recognize you know over lifetimes just seeing um, you know beings are born beings die we will die our own lives are not permanent you know these these reflections can help us to take in this fact of, of impermanence and then there's more uh, you know and then there's a more ordinary um, uh, kind of ordinary daily kind of impermanence we can reflect on um, and and you know this is a great time to reflect on impermanence because things are so wildly different and seem um, you know, each day, well, right now we may be coming into a kind of a, what we have been calling a new normal. And what, what new normal tends to mean is that we begin to count on things. You know, we begin to count on this is the way it has been. This is the way it's going to be. So the new normal is basically attributing a kind of a, maybe a temporary permanence. We're hoping it's a temporary, <laughs> a temporary uh, state of this new normal. Um, but the but that you know there is there is a change that we can witness in our day to day um, lives, you know, and and even as simple as the sun comes up, the sun goes down each day. The shadows move. Um, we have to eat because our food is digested, and you know it's no longer there to nourish our bodies. We need to put more food in our bodies. There's just millions of ways, you know that impermanence shows up and yet we don't really take it in there's a deeper level of impermanence that's happening moment by moment actually in our experience level the experience level what's happening at our sense doors which is what we can experience that is changing moment to moment i mean even my moving my eyes here like this you know, it's like the way what's happening there is that there's 
all these new like light waves hitting the eye. There's nothing new. There's nothing uh, stable in what's hitting the experience moment after moment. The sense of that stability that we experience is partly, you know, it's partly because of the way our our system works to to stabilize experience so that when I move my head, it doesn't look like the couch is jumping around. It feels like I'm moving my head. But what's coming into the visual field is a very jumpy kind of uh, experience. It's very dynamic. It's very changing. So there's this kind of very momentary level of impermanence as well. As we attune to impermanence, as we kind of get curious about it and this, you know, reflecting on the impermanent nature of experience at all these different levels is one way to begin to, to attune to, um, to impermanence, just kind of like letting that be a reflection. How am I noticing change right now? In every single moment, change is available. It's not like we have to like create some special conditions in order to see impermanence. It is everywhere. It is just not something we tend to attune to. And so through a reflective practice, we can begin to attune to it. We can begin to attune to the nature of experience as arising and passing, as coming and going. As we um, attune to it in this way, part of the reason this is um, uh, supportive, or maybe the main reason this is supportive for understanding and insight, is that as we really deeply see that whatever is being experienced is impermanent, our system begins to recognize or understand that it doesn't make any sense to try to find happiness or to cling to something that is changing. That that pattern or habit of looking for happiness in experience, looking for happiness in what's happening in the world, trying to construct a reality that we will, uh, can stabilize and be happy with, that that's a, um, a futile project. And that, the, it, it, that tends to just keep us in this loop of the, the clinging and craving. So the, uh, the, the seeing of impermanence, even at the level of reflection, begins to help our mind to kind of let go of those tendencies to cling. Another exploration that um, can be useful, aside from that reflective process, um, is one of the instructions the Buddha offers around um, looking for happiness in experience, you know, and, and he, we're going to do that. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing that we do that, but the misunderstanding or the misattribution that, that I will find a lasting happiness there, that is actually a stronger tendency in us than we might think. It's, it's kind of embedded in, in that movement to get what we want. And so, um, you know, the Buddha encourages us in, in a particular teaching when we start to see that we are getting happiness, you know, get, getting happiness from getting something that we want. He suggests 
Okay, that's fine. You notice that there's some gratification there from getting something that you want. Notice how long the gratification lasts. So that, that again, begins to point to, you know, it's like what the process around craving and clinging is. Because as soon as we see, you know, it's like we get something. And as soon as we see the weakening of that gratification, what do our minds do? It feels a little dissatisfied as that gratification starts to weaken and we start looking for something else to want, something else to find that hit of gratification. And so this is the project that we're engaged in. And the Buddha said that through the seeing of impermanence, we actually can find our way not to a place of hopelessness and despair, but a different kind of happiness that isn't reliant on landing on something and controlling it or or maintaining it. That there is a happiness that comes with kind of aligning ourselves with understanding the nature of experience as impermanent. The happiness of of not clinging to things that are destined to fall apart. It's a subtle kind of happiness. So perhaps not obvious how that would be happiness, but your experience will let you know it's happiness. When you see that um, the mind let go of wanting, of that clinging to something that it thinks is going to make it find happiness, when it lets go of that, there's a different kind of happiness there as as the craving releases. The release from that. It's like being released from a vice grip. There's a different kind of happiness the Buddha was pointing to. Then there's another piece of the, um, just one, one last piece I want to bring in before. What time is it? Okay, I'll try to leave about 10 minutes or so for, for conversation. Um, another piece of the, the, the wording of the sutta, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi says, one abides contemplating the body and its arising factors or its vanishing factors. Um, that language is a little strange. Um, Bhikkhu Analio translate it, translates it a little different. Um, he uses the word, the nature of arising and the nature of vanishing. One abides observing in the body its nature of arising or one abides observing in the body its nature of vanishing. That to me has a little bit more, um, that translation has a little bit more um, kind of curiosity. It sparks some things. And what we've been talking about, I've been using the phrase, noticing the nature of experience to be impermanent. This is a like this is this is a kind of a way of attending to experience, and this is a um, as the mindfulness gets continuous, we can actually start to see moment to moment that experience arises and passes away in the breath. A new breath arises, and then the sensations change, and the breath passes away. The sensations themselves are rapidly changing. 
And so the, the, the moment-to-moment mindfulness can begin to reveal the experience, body sensations, feelings, um, thoughts as arising and passing away. We initially begin in the mindfulness by attuning to the qualities of the experience. You know, the sensations, the pushing, the pulling, the pressure, the tension, the, the fullness that happens with the breath, the releasing, the relaxing, the, um, the settling that happens in the exhale. The different qualities of the experience are attending to the experience itself. And, and the, that's kind of how we begin the establishment of mindfulness so that there can be a continuity of noticing moment to moment. This is what the experience is. As, we, um, as the continuity begins to get stronger, we can start instead to kind of orient or shift the perspective of how we're attending to experience from the qualities of the experience, the pressure, the pulling, the tension, the tightness, the color, the form in the field of sight, the, you know, the smells, the tastes in the, in the field of sound, in the field of sound and um, taste, to the nature of the experience as arising and passing away. So instead of being so kind of attuned to the specific qualities of the experience, we get more interested in the general nature of the experience as impermanent. But then there's another way that the, this phrase, the nature of arising, strikes me. And that is that, um, you know, to, to begin to be curious about, not just about the nature of the experience, but the nature of some, that it is arising. The nature of the arising, the nature of the passing. And the nature of arising and passing experience that we start to notice again with the continuity as we can see experience unfolding over time, the nature of that, um, those arisings and passings are not random. They are conditioned. We start to recognize that something arises, not just kind of out of the blue, kind of, but arises because other conditions have been present that support its arising. And so this kind of contemplation of noticing the nature of arising may begin to to have us be curious a little bit about how does something begin to arise? What are the conditions that lead to its arising? This, again, in in the continuity of mindfulness, this can start to be revealed. As we notice experience moment to moment, we start to see this is happening, and then this thing happens, and our minds understand the connection between them. And we understand the conditioning that's happening in that. So um, this begins to uh, help us. So the, in, in a way, I've been exploring two of the three kinds of wisdoms that are pointed to in the Buddha's um, understanding that supports our freedom from stress and suffering, impermanence and unreliability. So anicca and dukkha. I've been pointing to those already. The third, the not-self nature of experience, that begins to be um, revealed as we attend to the uh, conditioned nature of experience. Because we, we start to see that what we attribute or take to be 
I or me or mine is not a thing. It's not a permanent kind of entity, but it is a conditioned process. It itself is an impermanent changing process, but the conditioned nature of it is what helps us to see that, um, that truth, that understanding of the not-self nature of experience. So the conditioned nature of experience also begins to be revealed as we explore the arising and passing of experience. So an example of the non-randomness, um, you know, maybe um, we can see, for instance, as, um, you know, we see, we see a feeling arises about something. Um, a feeling, we might begin to notice that a feeling is arising that's independence on a view or a belief that we have. This happens actually all the time. I would say view is a leading cause of feeling tone. Belief, what we believe is a leading cause about what we feel, about what we experience, about the, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. So, I mean, this happens in, um, um, in race relations, but I'll make a simple example here around uh, a snake, seeing a snake. So if you see a coiled form in the corner and you think it's a snake, if you believe that it's a snake, probably there's going to be an experience of unpleasantness of that sight and there's going to be an action that follows. You know, maybe fear will arise and there'll be an action to remove yourself from that place. But then suppose, so that, that, um, that fear seems very natural, of course. There's a snake there. It's unpleasant. And yet that, um, that unpleasantness is conditioned not on the snake itself, but on our belief that it's a snake. Now that may be hard to, to kind of take in, but just imagining the situation where you, you, know, you, you recognize then that that coiled form in the corner is not a snake, but it's a rope. A, a misperception of that experience. With the misperception that it's a snake, the belief that it's a snake is born, leading to the experience of unpleasantness and fear. With the revised perception that it's a rope, the, uh, the, the, the experience is not unpleasant. Unpleasantness does not arise. And so the belief that it's a snake is conditioning the unpleasantness. This is shot all through our experience. And this is just one tiny example of the conditioned nature of our experience. So I think that's, um, that's most of what I wanted to share about this aspect. Um, there's, there's a lot here to, to explore there's the, you know, there's the kind of the reflective piece, the kind of just attuning to impermanence and, um, you know, kind of like orienting to how am I noticing impermanence right now? That's not the insight into impermanence, but it helps to create the conditions for the mind to be available 
for the understanding, the direct momentary, moment-to-moment understanding of impermanence to arise. That understanding of the impermanent nature of experience and the conditioned nature of experience leads to a, a, a real kind of reworking internally of what our, um, our system thinks is going to be, lead to happiness and what it, how it understands that clinging is the clinging to what it habitually thinks is going to make us happy is leading to our own stress and suffering. And as that is seen, the mind begins to let that go. So the, the seeing of impermanence, direct seeing of impermanence is a direct um, condition for the mind to let go, to let go of the ways in which it habitually clings and holds. <laughs>